Back in 2017, I started paying closer attention to Bitcoin. And along with a friend of mine who also works in finance, we watched in disbelief as Bitcoin soared 850% from July to December of that year. To us, it was insanity. We sat back and laughed at it, anticipating what we thought was an inevitable crash. And we were comparing it to tulip mania, which was this historic asset bubble that happened during the Dutch Golden Age, when prices of the Viceroy tulip reached ridiculously high levels. And at the height of tulip mania, single tulip bulbs sold for more than 10 times the annual income of skilled craftsmen. It was insanity. And then it all came to an end when prices dramatically collapsed in February of 1637. And just like that, tulip mania was over. In 2017, my buddy and I rolled our eyes at all the Bitcoin bros who were leveraging all their possessions to buy more Bitcoin. And then it crashed. Hard. On December 20th, 2017, Bitcoin is worth more than $19,000 a coin. But about a year later, it had lost over 80% of its value. My buddy and I were practically high-fiving each other as it crashed. We felt smart and validated. Our biases were confirmed. To us, this proved that we were smart to stay away. And I thought Bitcoin was dead. But I was wrong. Here we are, over a year into the pandemic, and Bitcoin is up over 1,400% from its lows in late 2018. And I have egg all over my face. I never envisioned a day where I'd be doing a podcast about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and would be introducing it as a serious topic to my audience. But the success of Bitcoin is undeniable. And to just make fun of all the Bitcoin bros and crypto fanatics out there would be to ignore the number of really smart people who are also on the cryptocurrency bandwagon. In episode 6, we're going to take a look at cryptocurrency, the blockchain, and the newest craze, NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. And if you're looking for a crash course on this topic, I think you've come to the right place. Thank you for joining the discussion. I'm certified financial planner Justin Daring, and this is the North Country Wealth Management Podcast, where we discuss markets, investing, and the headlines that impact your finances. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any specific securities. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and all investing involves risk. The views expressed are those of North Country Wealth Management and do not necessarily reflect the views of Mutual Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Investment advisory services are offered through Mutual Advisors LLC, doing business as North Country Wealth Management, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. As of May 1st, the total amount of Bitcoin that's now been mined is worth more than $1.2 trillion. And if you add the other cryptocurrencies, you're looking at a market cap of around $2 trillion. Now to put that in perspective, Apple, the most valuable company in the world, is worth a little over $2 trillion. And it took 42 years to achieve that valuation. Now compare that with Bitcoin, which is about 12 years old. Now, comparing cryptocurrency to stocks isn't necessarily a fair comparison. Apple is a company, and they make things of value and provide services that generate billions of dollars of revenues. And they pay a dividend to their shareholders. There's unquestionable value in Apple stock. Bitcoin, however, doesn't make stuff or provide services. They don't have earnings. It doesn't pay a dividend. It's made up of ones and zeros, and in my opinion, has questionable utility. Bitcoin is often compared to gold, which also serves as a store of value and is viewed as a currency by many. Gold is one of the oldest forms of money, 
and has remained an attractive alternative to the dollar for many investors. And just like Bitcoin, there are wide-ranging opinions on gold and its viability as an investment. I've always appreciated Warren Buffett's comments on gold. Back in 2011, Buffett said that if you were to add up the world's gold supply, it would total about $7 trillion. And the amount of gold making up this $7 trillion supply is about 67 cubic feet, or roughly the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Buffett goes on to say that for that $7 trillion, one could purchase all the farmland in America, seven Exxon Mobiles, at the time that was the largest company in the world. Again, this data was from back in 2011. And then he'd still have a trillion dollars of cash left over. Rather than that big shiny cube of gold, Buffett says, I'll take the cash, farmland, and Exxon Mobiles. I think this is such a rational and reasonable argument against investing in gold and for investing in productive assets. But the thing is, as brilliant as Warren Buffett is, not everyone agrees with him. And he can't deny that a bunch of people think that investing in gold is a pretty good idea. And he might not agree with their reasons or their arguments, but it's surprisingly been a reasonable place to have money for significant periods of time over the last few decades. And like gold, there are many people who think investing in Bitcoin is a good idea. Now, let's take a step back here. What exactly is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a digital currency that was first issued in 2009 and was supposedly created by Satoshi Yakamoto, although this person or group of people remains unknown. And what's incredibly clever about Bitcoin is its use of something known as the blockchain, which is an ever-evolving record of all transactions that have ever occurred. Think of it as a database. And because of the nature of the blockchain, the records inside the database are unalterable and very secure. Instead of these records being stored on a server, the records are stored on the blockchain, which is made up of a network of computers all over the world. Now these computers, which are known as Bitcoin miners, help facilitate the management of this data, and these miners are incentivized to do this work with occasional rewards of Bitcoin. So far, around 18 million Bitcoin have been mined, and only 21 million will ever exist. And right now, it's predicted that all 21 million Bitcoin will be mined by 2031. When Bitcoin was first launched, all the rules associated with the creation of new Bitcoin and how it would utilize and interact with the blockchain were set in stone. And this is one of the most unique and most coveted features. There is no central authority figure with Bitcoin, and it functions as a truly permissionless network. There's no government controlling it, no business entity associated with its creation, there's no board of directors or president of Bitcoin, no building with Bitcoin on the front, there's code, and there's users, and among these users, buyers and sellers. And it's an imbalance of buyers versus sellers that have propped Bitcoin up to its current price. Now, many are quick to dismiss Bitcoin, saying it's all fantasy. It's just made-up money and a made-up institution. And they'd be right to point that out. But they're forgetting that that's what institutions are. We're just used to them having governors or directors, managers or presidents, mayors or dictators, boards or committees or some other forms of governance. We're just not used to institutions that don't have these things. And this makes Bitcoin different from other institutions. And just like Bitcoin, all institutions are essentially fictitious things that are made up by people. 
typically in an effort to organize efforts around a cause. Have you ever thought about the fact that the United States of America is only a real thing because we said so? And there's widespread agreement that it's real? No one questions this. And the same could be said about other nations or municipalities, companies or nonprofits, schools and universities, religions and cults, sports teams and leagues, and not to mention other currencies. All institutions are simply creations of man. And the only reason these things exist are because we agree they exist. Now, these things are held together by contracts and legal binding agreements, doctrines, traditions, beliefs. But at the end of the day, these are inventions of people. And we created them to get people to cooperate with one another and organize their efforts and work toward a common goal. And while Bitcoin's permissionless existence is different than these far more familiar examples, Bitcoin is just another institution. What's made Bitcoin front page news is the growth story and the fact that its early speculators have made enormous profits. It's believed that 100,000 people now have become Bitcoin millionaires, according to BitInfo charts. And with the rate at which we see change these days, it's almost not surprising to see. We've seen similar growth stories within the stock market. Take Tesla as an example. We've grown accustomed to the growth story, and we're just not as quick to question it in this environment. Proponents of Bitcoin also state their distrust in central banks. There are plenty of historical examples of financial ruin created by government mismanagement. And at a moment in our nation's history where trust in government is at a historic low, it's understandable that competing ideas would emerge and gain popularity. That being said, is Bitcoin the answer? And what's contributed to Bitcoin's success? Is it solving a problem? I think one of the big themes here is the fact that it has found a use for blockchain technology. It was essentially first to market, kind of like America Online was one of the first big institutions that lived on the internet. Bitcoin is one of the first institutions to live on the blockchain. And there seems to be some consensus among tech geeks that blockchain has a very promising future. And it looks like Bitcoin was the first big act. But will it go the way of AOL or Google? Will it become MySpace or Facebook? What's troubling for me is that Bitcoin doesn't seem to solve any problems, at least not any major problems that I'm aware of. It's impractical to use for facilitating everyday commerce as transactions take up to 10 minutes to complete. And the value is super unstable. And while it's unquestionably secure, I don't see the major issues with how currency is currently transacted or stored. And something that is so secure is going to have some problems. I think most of you have heard about the software engineer out in California who forgot his password and is locked out of his Bitcoin account, which holds over $300 million worth of Bitcoin. Now, in some ways, Bitcoin creates problems. Imagine being the chief financial officer of a company and you've made the decision to capitalize your company in Bitcoin instead of dollars. And as CFO, you have the job of making accurate forecasts about future revenues and cash flows. But on top of this already challenging task, you now have to worry about how much Bitcoin is going to be worth. It's far from a stable currency. And stable, predictable currencies are good for business. And the dollar has excelled at providing stability and predictable value. And as the world's reserve currency... This just isn't disputed. Now, another problem with Bitcoin is the massive amount of electricity that needs to be consumed in the mining and transfer of Bitcoin. In 2020, the energy consumed by the use of Bitcoin is estimated to be the equivalent of the entire energy output of New Zealand. 
And in a world where energy efficiency is more important than ever, this is a headwind that Bitcoin can't avoid. No one can modify Bitcoin to consume less energy. So that is a problem that is not going to go away. I just don't know why we continue to utilize something that's so inefficient. In my opinion, Bitcoin is a clever, first-to-market user of blockchain technology. Bitcoin is by definition scarce, and by design, hard to create. It's not disputed that only 21 million Bitcoin will ever be created. But that won't stop other cryptocurrencies from emerging. And surely it's possible to create other cryptocurrency that is just as secure, requires less energy, and is more easily transferred. Now, based on the homework I've done, there seems to be a lot of excitement about blockchain technology. And this, to me, is the idea that's investable. While Bitcoin was first to market, you'll find that there are uses beyond cryptocurrency that utilize blockchain technology. And this is where the conversation about NFTs and Ethereum begins. The blockchain can be used to distribute and protect digital property. And to me, this makes a lot of sense. Imagine you're a musician and you create a new album. If that musician goes the typical route of distributing music to their fans, they'll give up 80 to 85% of their revenue to all the intermediaries. I'm talking about entities like their agent, their record label, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and Google. And on top of that, they'll need to enforce the copyright of that music as illicit copies of music can easily be distributed on the web. Now, my understanding is that the blockchain offers a viable alternative. A cryptocurrency called Ethereum is different from Bitcoin in that it's programmable, meaning that each unit can contain programmable information, like music, artwork, or some other form of digital property. And this is a very interesting concept. The programmable part of Ethereum is known as an NFT or non-fungible token. And by the way, the term fungible is a legal term that describes goods that can be duplicated or aren't unique. Commodities are a good example of a fungible asset. But a non-fungible asset is something that is truly unique and can't be replicated by others. And it's the blockchain that makes this feature possible. Like Bitcoin, Ethereum has its own issues and imperfections. But there are many who point out that because Ethereum is programmable, it has actual utility, where Bitcoin's utility is less clear. And while I can see the value and utility of this technology, I still can't wrap my head around the ridiculous amounts of money that people are paying for these things. We've seen photographs of art sell for millions of dollars. A digital copy of Jack Dorsey's first tweet sold for $2.9 million. Most recently, a work of digital art sold at auction for $69 million. And someone bought a fart the other day for 85. I think this is a reasonable time to ask, what in the hell are we doing? I don't know where we go from here, but I'd like this topic to occupy less of our time and energy. To be frank, I think it's a bad thing for humanity. And my hope would be that the next time something grows from $0 to $2 trillion in a decade, it's backed by an industry or idea that solves problems, provides jobs, and creates efficiencies, and makes the world a better place. Not just for the first to get in on what may turn out to be the biggest Ponzi scheme that the world has ever seen. Now, I don't dismiss that some form of cryptocurrency could become mainstream. And an investment in this space can certainly be a part of a well-diversified portfolio. But let's remember what we have money for. Money isn't bad, 
and it has incredible utility. It represents effort. And the dollars that you possess represent work that you've done, efforts that you've made. Or in the case of your investments, value that's been created by the efforts of others. And you exchange these dollars for the best efforts of others. This is what money does and what it represents. And for all of our country's flaws, our currency works quite well. And its worth has universal acceptance. I just don't think that the future of money is denominated in Bitcoin or Ethereum that's been programmed with farts or tweets or even beautiful works of art. But I'm just one person. And my opinion on this is of very little relevance. There are 7.8 billion people on this planet, and they all get a vote. And if crypto continues to grow in its usership, it's quite possible that the value of these assets continue to grow alongside of those users. Now lastly, if you happen to watch Bill Maher's New Rules segment on Friday night, you'll notice remarkable similarities between my content and his segment. I assure you that this was purely coincidental. I was astonished at the similarities in his coverage of Bitcoin and mine but I didn't feel like rewriting the whole episode. Anyway, thank you for tuning in and joining the conversation. Uh, and feel free to get in touch if you'd like to have a more in-depth conversation with me about this topic. Take care.